0: Subscribe to The Truth Podcast today on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Politics by Faith. I am Mike Slater. Thank you for being here. The the point of this podcast is we take the news of the day, break it down, lament the brokenness in it that is causing us all anxiety, then provide some historical perspective and biblical truth that makes that anxiety go away so we can go to sleep. And we can wake up as happy warriors, bright eyed, ready to take on the day. Today's a little different because the story of the day today is Christmas. I hope you have a wonderful Christmas. And I wanted to present this podcast two weeks before Christmas, giving you the time to reflect on what we talk about here as we approach the big day. No use doing this podcast on Christmas Eve. It's too late. Coming up, I'll also explain why there is no Santa Claus in the Slater house. And then everyone gets mad at me and i get 100 emails and i gotta respond to everyone but we're gonna do it anyway here's my main issue this is the story of the day i lament the secularization and cheapening of our holidays this is a theme that has smacked me over the face this year you may be way ahead of me i'm catching up to you just how secular and lame and meaningless our holidays have become, especially when you compare them to what they were and what they could be. Halloween felt especially meaningless this year. And and I was struggling with why and then I finally had the obvious realization, it is meaningless. (laughs) It used to be All Hallows' Eve, hallowed, meaning sacred and set apart. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It was the day before All Saints Day, which is the day where we celebrated the Christian martyrs who came before us. Just imagine how society would be different if all the Christians in America knew the names and stories deeply, intimately, and were inspired to live their lives in the martyr's honor, the martyrs who were willing to give up everything for their faith. Imagine how different our country would be, and, and my life would be, if I knew these stories intimately. So that's Halloween, and then Thanksgiving started out as a day of fasting and prayer, and it's turned into a day of gluttony and football. Those are the opposites. So we had what was a purely religious holiday turned into a completely secular one. What a shame. And no holiday's demise is more lamentable than that of Christmas. And what Christmas has become for most. And you're thinking, well, Slater, what's the big deal? How, 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 what is Christian now that you're so upset about? John MacArthur made a list. He said, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And this time of year is all about rushing around frantically. Traffic, malls, airports. And there's a rising suicide rate. During a time that we should be celebrating the birth of the Prince of Peace. 2,000 years ago, there was one star that lit the sky. Today, millions of LED lights are on houses everywhere and big neon lights pointing you to buy things that you don't need and you can't fit. The first Christmas was a poor one in a manger. Think of the poverty of that stable. By the way, there's a a book uh, someone gifted us. It's called The Tale of the Three Trees. It's a wonderful book for kids about the manger. So the, the first Christmas was poor. Today, it's all materialist wealth, and and how high can we pile the presents under the tree? Quoting MacArthur, the babe of Bethlehem was born a savior to give men all they need. He's been replaced by a huckster named Santa Claus, whose entire verbal contribution to the world is ho, ho, ho. Think about that. Santa has never, there's even, in any of the legends of Santa, there's no other words of wisdom, right? (laughs) Santa has nothing. Ho, ho, ho. That's it santa gives you what you want because you deserve it jesus gave you what you didn't even know you needed even though you didn't deserve it you think of the quietness of bethlehem with the noise of the malls we've gone from angels to flying reindeer you get the get the point here do you see how we've replaced these amazing things with cheap pathetic imitations We've replaced real food for your soul with sugar. And the problem is people love sugar. So what is Christmas? Saw this video the other day. It is from ignitermedia.com.
1: My mama told me something when I was growing up that has forever changed my life. She played the piano at our little church at 3rd and Pine Street for 37 years. She tried to teach me to play the piano, (laughs) but I wasn't very good. She would teach me the names of the notes, what a major key is, what a minor key is. She tried to teach me musical theory, but I was just bored. Then one day, she told me that the best news in the world is found by playing a simple scale on the piano. I had no idea what she meant, so she told me to play an eight note scale. So I did. I said, how is that good news? And she said, I played it incorrectly and that I needed to play it the other way. So I did. Again, I said, how is that good news? And she said, I played it the right way, but I needed to add the pauses the pauses, she said, the pauses, add them on the first, second, fourth, sixth, seventh, and last note. Now, I was frustrated and said, how can eight notes with random pauses be the best news in the world? Then I got up, walked away, and went outside. Frankly, I didn't care what she was talking about. I didn't like playing the piano anyway. Well, years later, My mama got sick and passed away. As I was thinking about her, I remembered what she told me about the piano. Not only that, I still remember the notes she told me to pause. The first, second, fourth, sixth, seventh, and last note. So I sat down at her piano and played the scale with the pauses. realized the good news she was talking about joy to the world
0: the lord is come let earth receive her king that's christmas here are some biblical truths to think about you know people always ask why do bad things happen to good people heard that your whole life why do bad things happen to good people First, that's only happened once. Jesus was the only good person ever. Second, the the, the right question is, why do any good things happen to anyone ever? (laughs) I'd be like, oh, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do good things happen to anyone? Or this is a better question. Let's say something tragic happens. a, A building collapses and people say, why were those people killed? Why them? Jesus was asked this, Luke 13. And his response was, the question you should be asking is, why weren't you in that building? You're so consumed with, why were they in it? The question is, why weren't you? By the grace of God is all. You know, people will say, why does God allow any evil? Well, there was a flood. He killed everyone except for Noah and his family. So he (laughs) <laughs> he didn't allow it then and people are like oh that was a mean thing to do well you blame him for allowing evil and then he doesn't anymore and then you blame him again the truth is for all of these questions uh we sh- we should all be condemned we are all condemned and that's the main part of the gospel everyone knows gospel means good news. So what's the good news? Well, you need to know the bad news in order for the good news to make any sense. In order for the good news to mean anything, you got to know the bad news, but our society doesn't like to share the bad news. Therefore, the good news doesn't have the power that it needs. Everyone knows John 3, 16 because of Tim Tebow, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, There's a ton to unpack there. But we all kind of know that line. Some people will quote John three seventeen because it sounds nice. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. And it sounds nice. Oh, so I'm not condemned. Jesus did not come to condemn, so I'm 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 not condemned. He didn't come to condemn, so I'm not condemned. I'm, that's that's great. I'm, everything's great. Nothing to worry about. No one quotes John three eighteen. So so John 3.16, everyone knows. John 3.17, maybe you've heard it before. John 3.18, no one ever quotes. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. You are already condemned. Jesus did not come to condemn because you already were. You already are. Now, here's the best part. Ephesians 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the devil, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved, but God, but God. You were condemned, but God. God sent his son. It's been called a rescue mission to give you a way out. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. And if I may stress the theme of the gospel, we've all heard that God is a loving God and people stop there because they really just, we all want to do whatever we want to do and not be judged for it. So if we can just be like, oh, well, God loves me no matter what, then we'll lie to ourselves about that all day long. No one wants to deal with the other attribute of God or there's many, but another one is just, God is just. And because he's just, he has to punish God Sinners. People focus on the loving God. That's great. But God is also just. And that's good because if someone murdered your spouse, you would expect the judge to punish the murderer. That would be the just thing to do. Psalm 33, 5 says, God loves righteousness and justice. Great. God is the same with you. He is just. You are condemned. That's what it said. You are condemned, but he's also loving. So he's given us a way to be forgiven For our sins, you are in a massive amount of debt for the sins that you've committed. There's no way for you to pay them, but God did something. Colossians 2.13, when you were dead in your sins, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. He nailed your debt to the cross through Jesus, and that cross started in the manger. In Christmas, we celebrate the beginning of that rescue mission. That is the good news. That is the gospel. Gospel means good news. Christmas is about the birth of Jesus. Ask people that if you asked 10 people what Christmas is all about, no one's really going to say presents, but that's how we act, right? So but most people, it's really about materialism. And then maybe you'll get people like, oh, it's about family or something. You're like, nah, I mean, yeah, I mean, sure. <laughs> but that's not it. Christmas is about the birth of Jesus. Again, the difference, Halloween used to be the day before All Saints Day. And now it's a day about trick-or-treating and candy. And 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 Thanksgiving used to be a, a day of uh, uh, Thanksgiving and, and fasting and praise and supplication and, and prayer to God, and now it's uh, gluttony in football. <laughs> and Christmas used to be about the birth of Jesus, and now it's whatever. Grandma got run over by a reindeer. I don't know. Why have we strayed? Why have we strayed into such cheap substitutes? Well, two reasons. John three says the light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light. So let's just like we just prefer the darkness. And two, we, just to criticize Christians here, we're ashamed of the gospel. That's it. It's easier to embrace Santa than it is to embrace the gospel or share the gospel. It is. We're just ashamed of the gospel. Romans 116, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. There's no more powerful truth. There's no more saving message than that one. And if someone took a snapshot of our country's celebration of this moment in time that we call Christmas, they would, like someone Someone came in, they had no idea what Christmas was or what, they would look at you and be like, uh, like who's this fat guy in a red, red, and I'm coming to him in a little bit. And then if you're like, oh, no, no, let me, let me, let me tell you what Christmas is all about. And I just give the whole gospel message and, and tell the whole story. They would say, oh, well, why does no one... <laughs> Why someone really does, you, you must be ashamed of it. You have this predominantly Christian country, at least used to be with this, um, the amazing truth, the birth and then resurrection of Jesus. And, uh, we, we don't care <laughs> We're ashamed. We're clearly ashamed of it. We have replaced Jesus with Santa Claus. Why, how did this happen? There's two massive lies that we are told in America. The first we talk about all the time, Uh, the the world has convinced people that there's no need for a savior by convincing people that they don't need to be saved because you're perfect just the way you are. You're great. You're wonderful. Well, you're good enough. Well, you're at least better than that guy. The point is, you don't need saving. We're told we're all born good. And if you're born good, but you don't feel good, well, you just need a little self-help. A little self-help will fix you right up. And uh, you just got to do a little work on yourself. A little little self-love is what you need. A little self-work, self-help, self-love. And then uh, just do more. You know, do more. Be nicer. And uh, here's some life hacks. You should volunteer. Oh, yes, volunteer more. You'll be a better person. But whatever it is, you certainly don't need a savior. That's the first lie. Second lie is that you won't die. You are invincible. Don't ever think about death. We live our lives like we won't die. Matt McCullough, he wrote a book called Remember Death, The Surprising Path to Living Hope. And one of his points is that death used to be around us all the time. People were dying all around you. When our country was founded in the late 1700s, four out of five people died before the age of 70. Average life expectancy was in the late 30s now it's 80 <laughs> and you died where you lived you died in your home so if you were a kid you saw your grandparents die you saw them die a oftentimes a slow painful death in the living room and in 1980 only 17% of people died at home that was 42 years ago i don't have a number to update that but i guarantee it's way lower with more people in nursing homes and hospice care and all all the rest my point is we send people away to die we send people away quote the experience of death has shifted from a familiar event in a familiar place to an unfamiliar event in a sanitized professionalized institution that most people rarely visit think about that that is a massive cultural shift that is such a massive shift From all of human experience in just the last, I don't know, 50 years, that surely that's changed us. It it has to. You have this fundamental part of life, and that is death, that now we have nearly completely, obviously, we haven't eliminated it because people die, but like sanitized it completely from our existence. That is surely going to change how you view the world. Back in the day, you would have eight kids, but only. Three of them made it past the age of five, and that was normal. Women died in childbirth. It was dangerous to get pregnant. My son just left the the NICU a couple of weeks ago, two weeks ago. He would have died 50 years ago, easily. And that probably would have been our second kid out of the four to have died in childbirth. Our first kid had some quick minor issues, but without modern medicine and stuff, probably would have died right there. So first kid would have died, next two would have made it maybe. Uh, and then uh, the, the, the fourth one would have died. So half our kids would have been dead in birth. But that didn't happen. They lived. So we start to feel invincible and we push death further and further away. Death is distant. So you're saying, well, Slater, who can, what does that have to do with anything? Why are you talking about this on Christ- the Christmas? It's supposed to be a Christmas special, Slater. The problem with this is when death is close, which it always has been for all of human existence. It makes us humble and brings us closer to God. So when death is distant, we don't think we need God. We think eternity isn't something we need to think about because I'll never die. I haven't seen anyone die. Matt McCullough's theory is similar to how the greatest virtue in life is to be nice. We talk about that all the time our moral obligation in life is happiness he says we act as if we have a social obligation to contribute to the collective happiness by avoiding any cause for sadness and by appearing to be always happy even if in the depths of despair if happiness is a moral duty then grief is a moral failure by showing even the least sign of sadness one sins against happiness threatens it and society then risks It's a reason for being. So death is sad. It's a bummer. We're just going to put it way over there and never think about it, never talk about it. And certainly never contemplate it for yourself. Sidebar, I believe this is one of the main reasons for the massive freak out over COVID. People never contemplated their mortality. But there's no more certain fact of life than death. We never talk about it. And even when we experience it in our circle, friends, family, whatever, we put it in a sanitized professional hospital and we try never to think about it again. This is not healthy. So again, what does this have to do with Christmas? If you don't meditate on death, then you cannot fully experience the joy of life. You can't experience the full joy of the moment. If you think life lasts forever, you'll take it all for granted. And you won't be thinking about what you need to do to make sure you spend eternity in the right place. Because people think they're living in eternity right now. You're not. I uh, Sorry to bring up my kid again in the NICU, but it's just so obvious. Every other kid, the three other kids we have, we just brought home right out of the hospital. And we, and we love them, of course. But this kid, we almost lost him. So we hug him tighter. Everything's been that much more special. We know this is true. This is so obviously true, but we don't take it to heart. I guarantee you, if you and I were to meditate more on death, then we would yearn more for eternal life. If we were to meditate more on the reality that we will die and it could happen at any moment, then you would yearn more for eternal life and be more grateful for Jesus. And your Christmas would be that much more meaningful. Listen to some of the classic Christmas songs and they talk about death. O come, O come, Emmanuel. From depths of hell thy people save and give them victory over the grave. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. It's a Christmas carol. (laughs) Hark the herald angels sing. Light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by. Born that man no more may die. So to fully appreciate the good news, we need to know the bad news, and that is you are condemned. And to fully experience life, we need to come to terms with the reality of death. And what has our culture done? Our culture has told you that you are perfect just the way you are, and you'll never die. Last quote on this, this is Walter Wangarin. He says, What good is resurrection to those who are living like immortals? If death is not a daily reality, then Christ's triumph over death is nearly daily nor real. Worship and proclamation and even faith itself take on a dreamlike, unreal air, and Jesus is reduced to something like a long-term insurance policy, filed and forgotten. Hmm. And of course, then Christmas is, if you don't understand all that, then Christmas isn't that meaningful, because who cares about this baby especially when I got Santa over here. Santa's giving me presents. And we're going to stop here for today. I'm going to give you the rest of it tomorrow. D- don't, I'm not. I'm not going to make you wait till Thursday. We'll finish this up tomorrow. And I'll tell you why we don't have Santa in the Slater house, although I think you can guess why already. I don't like cheap substitutes for the real thing. Just don't. I don't like cheap substitutes for the real thing. But I want to leave it here because I really want you to think about your need of saving and the inevitability of death. Those are two profoundly important things that I don't just want to skip over. (laughs) Two things, your need of saving, your need of a savior, and the inevitability of death. Two things that if you think about will make your Christmas so much more meaningful and so much more important than a fat guy in a red suit. Also, tomorrow, I'll share one of my favorite stories. It's why Jesus came as a baby. Why, why, why like, okay, you get the whole story, and like, I get it, so I'm connecting the dots. But why did he have to come in a human form like he did? Why not like another burning bush or something? And when I heard this story, just everything just clicked uh, so profoundly, and I'll share that with you tomorrow as well. Politics by faith. Like I